Welcome to the Author's Podcast with Lisa Newton. Writing a book is a dream for many people, and in today's society, it has become easier and more important than ever. If you are an expert, speaker, coach, or an authority in your field, having a book is the new business card. It can increase your credibility, enhance your status, and make you the go-to person in your field opening doors and bringing a flood of opportunities straight to you. You can increase your fees and start choosing the clients you really want to work with. The Authors Podcast Show with Lisa Newton is designed to inspire, educate and inform you, both entrepreneur and individual, on how to write a book, as well as writer's tips and strategies on how to actually get that book written. On today's show, you learn more about how to write a book, including writing ideas, marketing, and how to succeed in getting a book written. Here we go with the author's podcast, and here is your host, Lisa Newton. Hello and welcome to another episode of the author's podcast. Today, my guest is Jare Bolander. He is an engineer by training and an entrepreneur by nature. He has over 20 years of experience bringing innovative products to market. Some of them include Bluetooth, USB, RFID, semiconductor DNA sequencing and SAAS, software as a service for healthcare. Over the past three years, he's been a reluctant PR maven at JSY PR Marketing, which is a full-service PR marketing firm that specialises in professional athletes, startups and non-profits. Through his work with JSY PR and Marketing, he has realised that well-told stories can change the world. After the death of his wife, Jane, in 2017, he has dedicated himself to helping nonprofits tell better stories via JSY Giving, which is a nonprofit formed in Jane's memory. Jare has formed or been part of six startups in management, in various management roles. He holds an MBA in technology management and a BS in electrical engineering. He's also an inventor or co-inventor on over 11 patents and has published six books, Eight Startup Dilemmas or Founders Will Face, The Entrepreneur Ethos, Seven PR Secrets or Founders Should Know, Frustration-Free Technical Management, Hashtag Endurance Tweet, A Little Nudge to Keep You Going, and business basics for entrepreneurs. You can read his thoughts on management and entrepreneurship via his blog at The Daily MBA and follow him on Twitter at The Daily MBA or connect with him on LinkedIn. So, after that amazing introduction, I should have Jare Bolander. Hey, thank you for having me and uh, wonderful to be here. Can't wait to talk about uh, books and entrepreneurship and life and the whole thing so yeah absolutely um where where were you based um uh i'm in san francisco california oh okay all right okay san francisco excellent okay so let's um let's really start then at um at the the beginning so you've got a background as uh, an engineer by training so how does an engineer 
become an author? Yeah, that's a wonderful question because I sometimes ask myself how I got to where I am <laughs> uh, because it's an eclectic background and an eclectic path. Uh, one one thing that really had always fascinated me uh, throughout all my engineering training is um, I was really good at explaining things. Mm. And so someone would ask, you know, how does this thing work? And I could explain it. And the other thing that was really great about that is I could also write about it. And so all of the classes in writing, I just did extremely well at. Uh, and what would ha what was happening is as my career progressed, I would be getting more and more uh, responsibility. Like, hey, you know, you seem like a good guy. Why don't you manage people? And uh, as I started to do that, I would get a, a lot of requests for plans for improvement and just, you know, hey, what are your thoughts on leadership and management? Mm -hmm. And so one of the people that I managed, he basically said, hey, why don't you write some of these management tips down mm. that uh, that you've been, you know, helping me with. And, you know, I, I really, you know, really appreciate it. And I think a lot of people would find it useful. And so mm -hmm. that was my first book, Frustration Free Technical Management. And ever since then, I kind of got the bug. Uh, I, I really feel that if you can, um, if you learn something and you write about it, you're just going to learn it even more. And the way my mind works is I have to write things down in order to process them. Mm -hmm. So it's just a natural thing for me to be like, okay, write, write a blog post, you know, write an article, write a book and mm. just haven't looked back. So it's been real fun and, you know, I really enjoy it. Okay. And so starting with that book then, The Frustration-Free Technical Management, who is that book aimed at? Is it for managers or in every discipline or specifically for technicians managing people? Yeah, I mean, I originally wrote it for engineering managers that were going into management. So the typical kind of career progression in engineering and, and the technologies is that you're a really good individual contributor. You know, you're technically, you have a great technical prowess. And then eventually everyone's like, oh, you should manage people. <laughs> and yeah. Those skill sets are pretty much orthogonal. And what would happen is you'd get a lot of great engineers that would completely fail as managers, um, even though they wanted to do it. And they're like, well, how do I how do I do this? And so I learned from trial and error. I learned from a lot of great mentors. And so what I decided to do was, OK, well, I should, you know, write down sort of my philosophy, the people I interviewed and sort of what I think works, because there was really no book out there other than maybe the mythical man month or the lean startup. But those were all related to, you know, how to get stuff done as opposed mm -hmm. to the mindset, the internal mindset to how to manage humans, because managing humans, as we all know, is a pretty tough job. <laughs> yep, definitely. Um, and would you say that um, in, in terms of... Um, managing people um no actually no let me let me come on to another question let me come on to another question so um i think what you're saying is is really interesting particularly um on, on the management perspective because oftentimes and i've worked in places where i think some people ended up in management roles by default 
and lovely yeah. people as they were, I just don't. Th- and I often used to think to myself, like, if it wasn't for the staff, literally, we're, we're you know looking after the looking after ourselves, managing ourselves. You know, some of these managers, I'm always amazed at how they got there. Um, always, yeah. Yeah, I mean, typically you rise to the level of your incompetence. And so <laughs> some people rise to a point where, you know, they were really good at doing the thing, but it's mm. really hard to step away from doing the thing. Because the, the, the main thing about management that unfortunately a lot of technical people don't get, and this is specifically to technical people, it's not your job to do the work. It's yeah. your job to make the people under you successful and have them do the best job they can. You literally should not do any engineering. And that is a hard thing, a really hard thing to do. And that's where people mostly get in trouble. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of like the E-Myth. But what that more is about is when right. you start to get into, you, you start off wanting to start your own business as a technician. And then when you actually start running the the business the last thing you should actually be doing is the technical work it's everything else that requires managing a business which is why a lot of small businesses don't work in the end because there's so many other things that need doing oh yeah you're 100 percent right it's the same thing it's just in the in the technology field and engineering it's even more pronounced because a lot of engineers their their self-worth is wrapped up in their technical prowess mm. and it's respected more how technical you are as opposed to how good a manager you are. I mean, it's just a common thing where most engineers are like, oh, we don't need management. Mm. <laughs> and then, I mean, Google famously did this, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. They literally eliminated middle management. They're oh, like, wow. oh, you know, they don't, we don't need middle managers. And it turned out to be an absolute disaster. Chaos reigned. <laughs> all, of the, all of the, you know, director, VP level, CEO level people were getting all these questions. They're like, how come you guys can't figure it out? It's like, well, because someone needs to tell us what to do. And it's not going to be free range engineers, you know, walking around the plane like, oh, what should we do? You know, and then they they reinstituted it. In fact, they even doubled down on. Uh, what are good managers and how to train them and what are the, you know, the traits and the values and the beliefs that they really needed to instill in them because they, they realize, and I mean, this is historical. I mean, throughout all of time, large organizations, large societies need to organize and they need to have middle managers and they need to have levels of hierarchy because you can't manage a massive organization with, a lot of, you know, you know, there has to be someone in charge. So it was just interesting to, to see how they came full circle. You were listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like, and share this channel. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Jare Bolanda, and his first book was Frustration-Free Technical Management. And so, Jare, after that, you did say that you got the writing book. So <laughs> you got your first book out there. And then what book followed on from that? Uh, the second one, I think, was Endurance Tweet, which was a uh, like a Twitter book, <laughs> which you can, uh, you know, these little nuggets of uh, wisdom on how to get through hard stuff. So that was a pretty, I, w- I mean 
kind of an interesting model and an interesting kind of framework. So that was pretty fun to do. Uh, I think that the one after that was uh, Business Basics for Entrepreneurs, which mm-hmm. uh, was actually a, a blog series that I did oh. and decided to put into a an ebook, which is one of the things that's, I think, for those that are looking to want to write a book and get a little scared of it or like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, I blogged that book, which I thought was a really great way to, you know, get motivated and, you know, see what worked. And, mm. you know, the discipline of writing routinely is mm. what gets you through writing books. So mm. um, I thought, and, you know, that was I, a great way to do it. And and as you were writing the blog, did you have the idea in mind to turn it into a book or was it only afterwards where you thought, you know, I've actually got some good content here. I could turn this into a book. Um, and when I first started out, I did not have the intent of that, but I purposefully made it a series. So I think it's like 25 lessons or something. And, and, mm. and I was like going through my MBA. So I'm like, oh, I've got all this knowledge <laughs> I should write about it. People want to know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did an outline and I just kind of did one after the other. And it was part of my, you know, learning at, you know, learning in graduate school and, you know, again, I needed to synthesize it. So I figured, well, maybe other people would need to synthesize it too. And then as I think I got to the end, I realized, oh, you know, I could, with some some changes, I could put this together in a quick ebook and put it on Amazon. And so that's what I did. And, you know, it's uh, just a nice little, you know, no, absolutely. The, yeah, and I, I like what you say there about synthesizing um, information, because I, I think I'm a little bit like that. And I find that when I write things down, it, it holds, it sticks a lot better. And, you know, I've been in lectures and sometimes the, the teacher will say, right, pens down, everyone. You know, I don't want anyone taking any notes. Just listen to what I've got to say. And I find that really difficult. I'd like to make notes. Oh, me too. I mean, I, I like to make notes. I actually like to doodle mm. uh, and people think, well, how, how can you be listening when you're doodling? For me, the act of physically doing something or writing a note is now reconfirming what I'm hearing. And I have to, I have to do that as part of my learning process. It's just mm. it's always been the way it's that I've learned the quickest and the, what, like, as you said, it sticks. So yeah, I mean, I, don't see why anyone would care if you're writing <laughs> notes. Like, is it really that important? Like, the, the you have to hang on the professor's, you know, every word because it's just so important. It's like, yeah, you're too full of yourself. Nothing you can really say is that important that you can't, you know, like you're going to only probably remember a, a 25th of what he said anyway. Mm. Well, I think it, people have different learning styles. So, some people are auditory, they say kinesthetic, um, and, then, and then there's the, 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 the different ones. Some people learn by doing. I, I definitely, it really helps me to write notes. And I know that um, whenever I've got ideas for books and things, I like to have a notebook with me. I, I, I still have a pen and paper diary. I can't mm-hmm. do the, the electronic figure. I've got to have a pen and paper. Um, so in terms of when, when you're writing, do you write to paper or do you write straight directly to onto the computer? Uh, so I typically have a notebook as well that I jot down notes um, real quick, like thoughts or outlines. Mm-hmm. And then I go directly to the computer and I, I use a tool called Scrivener, which I'm sure you're familiar okay. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and I like Scrivener because it's the way I think, and it's like you know old school note cards and stuff uh, that you can pull around on the screen. Um, but I typically will do, um, you know, have a notebook, write some notes. I will actually plan it out uh, in a pretty decent detail once I get the idea. And the reason I do that is I kind of need a work plan. Mm. So my work plan, you know, I need to know, okay, I'm going to write 35 chapters. Each chapter is going to look like this. And I have a kind of an idea because I'm a planner instead mm. of like, you know, the difference between a planner and a pantser, you know, like some writers are just like, I just write and it flows like, <laughs> like the world. And I'm like, well, that's not me. <laughs> so I literally can't do that. Um, but I also am a, I'm a certified story grid editor, which is a, a methodology that uh, I found a couple of years ago, which is um, kind of a framework in which to write better stories. Okay. And it's a very um, objective view of how to write. Uh, some people say a little anal. <laughs> some people say, you know, very mm -hmm. structured and rigid. But I, I like that methodology and kind of how I write now since I found the method. Um, it just helps me manage my time. Because one of the worst things that you can do as a writer is like you sit down at the blank page not knowing what to write. Yeah. That's just the worst. So yeah. for me, if I have a plan and I have an outline and then I've got some detailed like, okay, today I need to write this or this isn't working or I've got a list. It's just, I know what to do. So now when I sit down, it's like, no, you got to write the chapter on, you know, self, self-belief. Okay. How do I, okay, now I can go. And, and I don't have to worry about what to write. Um, for me, that's really powerful. Um, some people don't like that, <laughs> but mm. I've found that, you know, if I want to be productive and I want to feel good about what I'm doing and feel good that I'm making progress, that my, um, my method has to be one of, uh, this, what I would say, you know, outline slash work plan, like I would do for any project that I've ever done, because then it keeps me accountable. Yeah, no, that that's very interesting. I have I haven't heard of that before. So you you said Story Grid Editor, which is a framework. Yeah, so the book's called the Story Grid. Oh, okay. uh, it's written written by Sean Coyne. You can just look up StoryGrid.com. Um, there's just a ton of free information about genre and obligatory scenes and conventions and you know the mechanics of writing and masterworks and there's a lot of great information. You know, if people are interested because. One of the things that I found really, really frustrating about writing, especially in writing groups or when I would send something or hire an editor or anything like that, is that the comments were always so like subjective and mm. odd, like, oh, I just didn't feel it. Or, yeah, you know, this word doesn't really work. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I go, I care more about does it make sense? Does the story mm. flow? Is, is the setup I did in chapter two paying off in chapter six? Mm. Do I do I have the mechanic? You know, is everything in place so that it like flows? Mm. You know, from a structural developmental editing point of view, I just never found anyone that was really that good at it until I found the story grid method, and now I use that for everything I do. In fact, even my my business where I help other people tell better stories, I use the same framework, the same story structure that's been, you know, throughout all of time, you know, stories have structured. This is the mm -hmm. way 
world works. We've been telling each other stories since the dawn of time around the campfire, mm. right? I mean, absolutely, we had to because someone's got to learn how to not get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger, or that you know, <laughs> or that that berry will kill you. You know, I mean, in mm. you know, in that oral tradition of story, the um, the general tradition that us as humans have of you know coming around a campfire in small groups in our you know in our immediate families or in our, our extended tribe and telling each other stories to not only entertain and educate mm. but to feel connected and so i i always want to write better stories and so i never could find a way to objectively say yeah my story works my story doesn't work now it it no one may like it but at least i know what to work on so if i'm writing you know, a chapter. And as an example, the the inciting incident or the change that's going to happen to my protagonist isn't very strong or it's not there or there's no conflict. Mm. And it's not going to work as a story. I mean, it's just going to fall flat. No one's going to read it. And now that I have a framework and a methodology to describe that, when I go work with like one of my editors, my editor now, Leslie, who's who is a story grid editor as well, we have this great language where we can be like, yeah, inciting incident doesn't work. Your crisis is weak. You're not on genre. You know, where's this scene? Where's that scene? You know, you, you didn't set that up. You know, mm-hmm. what? who is this character? That's, I can fix that. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. great. You know what mm-hmm. I got to fix? And mm-hmm. that has just been, it's been a game changer and a lifesaver because a lot of times as authors, and we all know this, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes... We, we need the good feedback. We need feedback that's going to tell us how to improve our writing. Mm. It's hard to get good feedback. It's hard to get anyone to even read our draft. <laughs> right? right? I mean, you know, yeah. your friends and family and your, your mate, maybe your mates, you know, your significant other will be like, yeah, it's good. And you're like, okay, well, how can I make it better? And then it's, Oh, I don't know. It's just okay. You know, like, oh, yeah, that character really didn't do it for me, or I didn't like that word, or do you really need to write a whole chapter on? And you're like, ah, I just, I'm hungry for, tell me how to make this thing better. Like, mm. give me the the checklist on, mm. like, I need, I, and for me, I crave that. So anytime I'm like writing a book, it doesn't matter the book, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever it is, I'm like, okay. I'm going to start with the story grid method. I'm going to go through, you know, the six core questions that story grid editors go through. I'm going to have a, a top level outline, a macro outline, then I'm going to do a micro scene level outline. And I'm just going to frame this thing up like a house, get the bones down. And then I'm just going to jam right through it because for me, that is just, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I feel so much better, you know, it's like, ah, I have a plan, but I'm an engineer. So a lot of people, Yes, I'll be like that. <laughs> yes, and, and that's just what I was going to come back to. Like you sound very structured. I think you sound like me, to be honest. But I, I'm not an engineer. Okay. But I, I like methodology. I like structure. I like law and order. I like to know what you know. What step comes next? I, I, I think it's. I think it's a. It's a. It's a good approach. I'm sure there's some very creative people out there that might disagree, um, but. I I I agree with you actually. I, I like that idea. Now you work with um, JSY PR and marketing, and you help people tell stories. So how does that relate 
um, um, is it st- business stories or is it individual stories? How do you help people in that kind of sense tell stories? So typically it's for a brand or a company or a nonprofit. Mm. And, and also I do work with professional athletes. And that's, I got into this because of Jane, you know, mm. my late wife. She did PR and marketing, was a publicist for professional athletes. That was her job. I mean, and she had a lot of famous people that she dealt with. And when we met, you know, she was trying to expand her business and do more startups and nonprofits. And since I was a startup guy, I'm like, well, I know that. And so she taught me a lot of this PR stuff. And, you know, when she got sick, I took her business over and just started to help uh, brands, companies, sometimes even founders and people and executive directors kind of craft and hone their story so that it could get through all the noise, right? Because there's a lot of noise out there. Um, Mm. As we all know, we're just inundated every day with one thing or another. And what I've found over time is that the, the structured storytelling that I learned, how I write, you know, my ability to synthesize complex things, complex technology, complex ideas into really simple narratives Mm. was just everyone needed that. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, God, I just, I'm not getting any traction. I just don't know how to, why no one cares. And I'm like, well, tell me your pitch. And they would pitch me. I'm like, well, I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm an engineer. I should understand. (laughs) And so what, what's happened over time is that I've really found a, um, a niche, so to speak Mm -hmm. in, being able to help organizations with their story as the first thing that you should get right. Because what one of the things that a lot of people get hung up on, and, and even a lot of artists and a lot of creatives, a lot of engineers, and a lot of business people too, they are so in the weeds in their business or in their book or in their creativity. I mean, they just know it so intimately that when they try to explain it, they're worried that they're going to leave something out. They're like, oh, well, I got to tell them I'm doing these 10 different things and da, 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 da. Like, you know, when you read my bio in the beginning, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thankful that, pe- that you read it. I'm, I Hopefully people paid attention to it, but chances are they didn't. Chances are they're not going to remember what I do or all the other things I do, but they're going to remember like one or two things. You know, they may remember I have a funny name. <laughs> they may remember that, my wife passed away. They may remember that um, I'm an engineer by training, but an entrepreneur by nature. I mean, that's the reason why that's up front because it's easy to understand. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Tell mm-hmm. me more about that. Right? Mm-hmm. And so this is like a pretty much a universal thing for anyone that's an author, a business person, an entrepreneur. Even in our personal lives, we have a narrative and if we're going to meet someone at a cocktail party or let's say, you know, we're trying to meet a mate or make friends or get an in-job interview or we're on the job, mm. the better we can communicate who we are, what we think, what our, what our kind of narrative is, the more people are going to want to talk to us, the more people are going to be interested. And the more interesting that is, the more memorable you'll be, the more memorable be, memorable you will be, sorry. Mm the more opportunity you'll get right so no absolutely absolutely 
You are listening to The Author's Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Newton. You can email me, lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And remember, we have The Inner Circle, which is for writers just like you. And you can join us at writerbook.net. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Jare Bolander, who's the author of six books. He is an engineer by training, but an entrepreneur by nature. So, Jare, tell me about you've got um, you're an inventor and a co-inventor of over 11 patents. So tell me about that. What's the working with people, how you um, put things together, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, as an engineer, um, you know, my job's to solve problems. And so uh, if you know any engineer in your life or any technical person, uh, if there's no problems to solve, they get a little bored. Um, and if they're not complaining about the problems they're solving, <laughs> there's a problem because they're always complaining about, <laughs> oh, see, you know, that's, they just love that, right? Because yeah. their job's to solve problems. And so what someone, someone told me early in my career was that if you spend more than a day solving something, chances are it's patentable. And I'm like, what? Really? He's like, yeah. It's like, just think about it. Not only if it takes you a day to solve, it may take you a couple of days or whatever. So anything you work on that is sort of like, oh, I've never seen anything like that, or, ah, this is a hard engineering problem. Chances are it's patentable. So I literally would find I'd be working on problems. And since I was a pretty good writer, I would write up these things called disclosures. And I would just explain how I solved a problem. And then I, because, you know, these were at big companies, Mm. I would uh, send it off to the lawyers. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, why don't we file a patent? So um, through that process, I would collaborate with other people and we would solve problems together. And you know, some of the startups I was at, we had to write patents because patents are an important piece or one of the important pieces of a technology startup for making your, you know, protection, your, your what they call a picket fence. Mm, yep. And, you know, if you're a good writer and you can solve technical problems and you can write about them, chances are it's pretty easy to get a patent. It's really not that like, you know, oh my gosh, you're such a genius. No, it's not a genius thing at all. It's like, I solved a problem and here's how I did it. What do you think? And so that, oh. that helps a lot. Okay. And how how long does a patent last for? Uh, in the U.S., it's uh, 20 years, I think, now. Okay. Wow. So um, talk me through um, one of the start- – so one of your books is Eight Startup Dilemmas All Founders Should Know. So what's one of the biggest ones? that uh, as a as a dilemma that all founders should know when running a business uh go solo or form a team is one of the bigger ones that uh a lot of times people don't either get founders quick enough or they get the wrong founders Mm. or they don't kind of they think they can go it alone and now if, if you're like a solopreneur freelancer running your own business, you know, that's different, right? There, you're going to need some help, like maybe in bookkeeping, mm. like, you know, 
some of the stuff that, that you you do. I mean, you're you're like me. How many how many businesses do you have? Like three or four. Right? <laughs> it's awesome. I love I love people like you because it's like, see, I'm I'm normal. In one <laughs> no, I, I love I love the hustle and and like mm-hmm. you know, it's because you're passionate about what you're doing and you want to help people, right? So, you know, but you have to have a team. Yeah. Even if you're a solopreneur, you have to have a team, and so really it's it's letting go of the ego and really being like i have limitations how am i going to put a team of people around me that's going to make us all successful mm-hmm. and that's a tough tough one i mean there's there's a bunch of other ones like do i make it myself or do i go buy a solution is another one that that sometimes gets in in the way um when do i release my product you know like when is it ready for the world? <laughs> so, which can be hard, right? So, you know, these dilemmas are, they're meant mostly for technology startups, but they are applicable in some ways to, you know, solopreneurs that are uh, being, um, trying to either expand, like the e-myth as an example, like you brought up the e-myth. Yeah. They talk all about processes and systems some of those processes and systems may require a contractor, like your bookkeeping, like your social media, if you don't want to do that, you want to, or, you know, graphic design or something. So the team is really important. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think one of the, the hardest things, and it's, it's a conundrum and it's a funny thing because with some people that I talk to who would love to start their own business, one of the reasons why they want to start their own business is because they don't like their boss. But then I always yes. say to them, but you're always going to be working with people. And yep. if you start your own business, yes, you can do it by yourself, but only up to a point. And then you're going to have to start employing people and i think sometimes people think they'll get a lot of freedom because they'll be you know freelance and able to do whatever they like and yeah you can to an extent but you do need to collaborate and to cooperate and it it is a yeah i call it a skill and it's something that in business you have to learn you can't um not do it so your suppliers your customers your staff everyone is part of the the bigger picture and you have to manage those relationships those people effectively as well as deliver the product or service and everything else that comes with it yeah no i mean that's you know one of the most underrated skills i think that you know especially in the startup tech world you know, you get all these people that are like super smart and go, go, go and run fast and break things. And the whole, the mantra, you know, that the the bravado to, you know, all we care about is the meritocracy and just work, 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 work is really the empathy for the condition that someone else is in. Being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and really be like, yeah, I can see how that's hard on you. How are we going to manage through it? Because a lot of a lot of management and human interaction, but specifically a lot of management is not necessarily telling someone what to do. It's encouraging them to solve it themselves. Mm. And it's also encouraging them to be who they are. So I always tell like managers and and you know CEOs, especially young CEOs at startups, like your job is to make everyone else successful. Your sole job is to make everyone successful. I mean, as a CEO of a startup, you gotta raise money, but 
but your job's to make them successful. So how you do that, uh, you know, you know, think about the best way to do that. And some people are going to be motivated by different things. Some people are going to need more help, Mm. but generally your job is to make everyone else successful at the expense of your quote unquote success or your personal success or your personal productivity, because, um, that's not your job. Your job is not to be personally productive. Your job is to make your, your people, the people around you that you manage productive. Oh, and I think that that's a nugget. It, and that sort of um, thought process is turned on its head because when you're an employee and you're working for someone else, it is you, 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 and you put yourself out there. But when it's your business, it is putting your staff, your team, your people forward um, in, in the hope that, you know, that brings the whole business and everything forward along with it and that they don't run off to work with the competition or go in competition against you, <laughs> for example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great, that's actually a great way to put it. You know, I mean, how often have you worked with someone who is threatened yeah. by their employees success or the people that work for them success and how they almost, I mean, there's probably times where they sabotage that other person because it's, mm. It's like an ego thing. It's like, oh, they're going to be more successful than me. And then, but really it's like, well, you're their boss. So therefore it makes you look good if they're successful. But that's a hard thing in, in your soul and your gut to be like hard to swallow. Right. So I don't know. I mean, th- <laughs> I would say it like through maturity, cause I'm a, more, a little more mature now. <laughs> I've uh, and, and through some tough times in my life and really putting in perspective what matters in the world you become a lot more comfortable as you get a little older and you have a little more experience. And hopefully, you know, that wisdom is like, hopefully you'll mentor the next generation. Hopefully you'll be a little more kind and you won't try to, you know, be that guy or gal that's kind of pushing people down. And, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's universal to any kind of business, any kind of creative endeavor being generous. I mean, you know, as, as an author, as an example, like, so you're an author, you write this thing, you put it out there in the world, right? You don't know if anyone's going to read it. You don't know if anyone's going to like it. But as an artist, as an as a, as a creative, once it's done, you know, it's not yours anymore. It goes off in the world, and it has a life of its own. And your gift as a creative, as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and it is a gift because it's a hard thing to create something from nothing. But you, you put your gift to the world and, and your ego says, I hope people like it, right? Because it's a, it's a mm-hmm. personal thing. Once you get past the, oh, it's really not mine anymore, the, the, the world needs to take it for what it is, that then you're free. You're free to create more. And eventually, yeah, maybe you'll get on the New York Times bestseller. Maybe more people will give it a review on Amazon. Maybe, 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 maybe. But the act of putting your gift in the world i mean that should be enough that's the beautiful thing and that takes a lot of self-reflection obviously (laughs) because i didn't get to that like right away uh but you know you have some tragedy happen in your life and you go through some tough times it really puts the world in perspective and so yeah absolutely and just 
final sort of thoughts are you writing anything at the moment anything yeah i'm actually you can share with us yeah sure I'm actually <laughs> yeah. yeah um i'm actually almost done with a memoir of mm-hmm. uh my life and jane's life and what it was like to you know um experience you know your your wife's or your your mate's uh, battle with leukemia. So mm. that's been a very cathartic and tough, 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 you know, journey, mm. of grief and sorrow. And, you know, I had some problems with alcohol that, that I'm now I'm, you know, sober, uh, been sober for about almost a year and a half. And it's, again, like I talked about before, I have to write things down to process them. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a great experience to process all those feelings and really put in a tangible form the experience that was a life, not only a life-changing experience for me, but a life-changing experience for a lot of other people, and especially men who go through this process of grieving the loss of their loved one, their spouse. Mm. There's not a lot out there for them to feel like they're not alone. And and I felt really, really alone, and, and it was a really you know, hard thing to swallow. And Mm. and, in order for me to live the life I need to live and to live on Jane's legacy, as well as be happy Mm. and move on to another relationship, which I have now, I have a fiance who's just a wonderful Mm. woman, you know, I had to process all that so that I could show up and be the best I can be for, for my, for, for Minerva, my fiance, who, Mm. you know, was a very kind and considerate, loving, caring person who helped me through this journey. Mm. And that's a tough thing. And Mm. so, you know, the memoir not only is for me, because it is, I mean, I wrote it to put my feelings down so that I could process them. Mm. But my hope is that other men, particularly Mm. people that have gone through loss, when they read it, they're like, oh, Wow, yeah, I'm not alone. So mm. Someone do the same thing because it's a really lonely thing. You, you feel so disconnected. People treat you different when you're a widower. People treat you different. I mean, they just do. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because I was reviewing a book. Um, it, you, you said just so many interesting things, but just to touch on a few things. So when sure. you talked about your, you know, trying to find people who can read your work for you. So I've got uh, someone who. And I must admit, they gave me their book, oh, I don't know if it was six months, nine months, and every so now and again, I'd get an email, oh, Lisa, have you had a chance to read it? And I hadn't, and I just thought, oh, gosh. So I managed to read it. It, it didn't even, it wasn't even a long read, an hour, hour and a half. And once I got into it, it was, it was a page turn. I really, really enjoyed it. And one of the things that he put in the book is there's someone in there that their partner dies. No, actually, no, their, their, their partner, um, they, um, they get divorced. One one mm-hmm. person's got divorced, and then the, the she meets someone, and his partner has passed away. And what was said in that book is that people treat you like um, you know, because you might be newly single again. Some people see you as a threat potentially. Others yep. just think, oh, uh, you're unlucky. I don't want that bad look kind of thing. And it's it's a really difficult thing because you you feel it but don't really want to say necessarily but people do treat you differently and it when I read that and I thought about one or two people that I know that had gone through grief and I thought you know what Lisa there's more you could have done for them 
and I I didn't really know how or what to say. So yeah. it, it's um, really tough. Yeah, it's uh, really tough. I mean, I, even mm. to this day, I sometimes have a hard time with it, and I've been through it, you know. Mm. Um. So yeah. Yeah, but thank you very much for for sharing some really good ideas. So. From from this, I think listeners, there's a, a few things just to recap. So you, um, for those of you looking for some tools, particularly because Jare is a, a technology management person, but Scrivener as a tool for those of you that haven't heard of that one before, that's worth checking out. Also, the Story Grid editor, and to also think about if you're writing a blog, how you could actually take that material, turn it into. Uh, an ebook format if you're working and you have to write a lot of notes that that could be uh, that could form the potential basis for a book format particularly if you have to write things down a lot and also in in personal tragedy and in loss you can use a personal experience uh, to um, turn that into um not just to book a book, a memoir, but to actually, if writing is a cathartic release, which I know for myself, I find it a cathartic release. I always, I've kept a diary since I was probably about eight years old. And just at the end of the day, just to write down thoughts and what happened in the day, it, it just helped me process a lot. So just if, if that's you and you've got a lot of maybe diaries or whatever it might be, to think about how you could potentially turn that into a, a book format as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's that's great advice. Okay, so uh, today my guest has been Jare Bolandon, and you can find his website, thedailymba.com. You can find him on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and you can also find him on LinkedIn. And Jare is spelt J-A-R-I-E Bolandon. So, Jarry, any any final words? Um... I mean, you know, we we've covered a lot, yes, <laughs> as you yes, can imagine. Yes, you know, because yes. I mean, life is has a lot of uh, challenges and joys and struggles in it. Um, I'd say if if you're a writer, keep writing, no matter how frustrating it is. Um, try to read a lot as well. That's one of the things that I've learned that um, I'm a better writer when I read both fiction and nonfiction. Any favorite books of yours? Oh, wow. There's a ton. Um, I just finished reading Anti-Fragile, okay. which is the follow-on to The Black Swan uh, by Talib. Uh, re- read a book called Give and Take. I think it's by Adam Grant, which is a really good one. And then on the, the, non- the fiction side, I read uh, reading this book called... Uh, I think it's American Assassin. I think it's where it's a. It's just one of those like CIA covert op things that just that you can burn through because it's just like oh so riveting. You know what's this guy gonna do? <laughs> um, you know, um, you know. I've read some of the classics like Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. Uh, you know, um, Crazy Rich Asians, which is another good love story. <laughs> and then the book Love Story, which is was done a while ago, back in 1970. So, yeah, I think it's just. For, for writers, get out there and read and write and don't be afraid to share. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or technical manager, just I think empathy is one of the things that should be 
fostered more so that you understand where your people are coming from because everyone has a life outside of work and they bring all that baggage with them. And mm. if you don't know yep. that, it's going to be hard to deal with. Yep, absolutely. Okay, thank you very much, Jare, for being my guest on the Authors Podcast. Thank you, listeners. And uh, I hope that was um, inspiring and insightful. Certainly was for me. I've made some notes. And I will see you on the next episode of the Authors Podcast. This is me, your host, Lisa Newton, signing out. You have been listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton, sponsored by Boogles Limited. Tweet the show at Boogles underscore books, spelled B-O-O-G-L-E-Z underscore books. You can also contact your host via the email address lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And if you want to join our author's community, join the inner circle at www.writerbook.net. You have just been listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. See you next time.